Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And a good morning to everybody out there. It is David McLean here. This is Published or Not. You're on 3CR. And we've got an exciting novel uh, to talk about today. But before I do, a word of thanks to all the publishers who have helped us during Radiothon. Hashay, Transit Lounge, Text, Penguin, Allen and Unwin, HarperCollins, Random House. All of these people, all of these publishers, have contributed books so that we can uh, help generate um, the funding we need to keep on air. And then thank you to all of those that rang up and contributed and donated. It makes our lives a lot easier because we're basically self-funding and we've got to keep it uh, going each year. You can still make contributions if you wish, if the fancy takes you. Uh, the 3CR number 94198377. But... On to more interesting things. Today's show, no matter how simple or ordinary our lives or how seemingly mundane the location, there is a rich tapestry of influences that resonate and are universal. Such is the case with the women in Catherine de Safal's novel On Brunswick Ground. So Catherine, welcome to 3CR. Thank you. Did, did I get the pronunciation of your surname correct? Oh, I think uh, it's a train of a name. I wouldn't even worry about it. It's De Saint-Fal. But <laughs> de Saint-Fal. Yeah. yeah. De Saint-Fal. is in America too, and it's uh, pronounced with an American accent. So. Oh, right. I think it's much sweeter with an Australian accent. So it, you, uh, you go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. It's part of my ignorance, really. I never studied French. Oh. I should have. But this will give the listener an idea of your background ground, um, which is one area I want to touch on first, because you've been published in France, yes. and you were telling me off air, but French is not your native language. No, no, I, I, I started speaking French when I was six, and I only spoke English uh, until then, uh, and I was brought up in Sussex in the south of England, and I was born in London. Right, but so you still have a French Accent. I know, but that, as I said to you earlier on, it's, yeah. it's a Vegemite of a French accent over the top of the English underneath. And I love that and use of imagery, a Vegemite of an, a language, because basically that's an Australian uh, image then. Well, I do like Vegemite. I used to like Marmite, but now I'm into Vegemite. <laughs> so basically, and you've got a universal voice, therefore, English, French and Australian. Um, the challenges then of writing, because your novels were originally published in French, the challenge of writing in, in uh, another language, basically. Well, you know, it's funny because I'm, I'm a bastard between those two languages. That's all right. Mm, that's it? fine. You can <laughs> use that word on it. Don't worry. Uh, I'm between the two languages, you know, like a, a proper bilingual person. Because yes. I learned the two. So I'm, I'm, yeah, it doesn't feel like a shock because my heart beats in English because when I was a kid, I only spoke English. Right. But um, really then, we, this gets us into the fact that, um, well, in your biography, you mentioned that uh, the sky is bigger and the people warmer in Australia. You've come to Australia. How long have you been here? I've been here since um, uh, August 2003. And... The sky bigger, the people warmer. Well, because when I arrived at the airport, I I, I I came out of the plane and, you know, 
I, you're so you know you're jet lagged out of your eyebrows, and I walk to the big window. You know, it's a, a big window wall to wall, and I looked out and I saw this. I, I had a shock. I'd never seen a sky like that. Yeah, I have lived in the south of France, where the sky is really beautiful. It's like a painting of oh, I, now I can't think of the painter. It's an Italian painter. It's gone from my mind. Got a goldfish memory, but um, I looked at it and I thought, my God, people must be different under a sky like that, and they were, mm. they really were. And I was, I was, um, I didn't know anything or anybody, and I, I suddenly I heard, no worries, no worries, no wor- really, no worries, <laughs> and it was soothing from the right, from the word go. Right, excellent. Yes. Well, basically, your novel then is set in Australia and more specifically uh, in Brunswick. And I just want to have a little bit of a reading because this landscape of Australia, the vastness, actually is used in Brunswick, which is an interesting connection. I don't want to remember why I am here. Mapping my way as I walk, I just want to remember forward as the desert light slinks into Brunswick, making the dust glitter creating mysterious nocturnal places under the curved metal roofing over the shops. Of course, I have no idea how this desert light reaches Melbourne's inner suburbs. It makes no sense. The desert is hundreds of miles away. It's probably only in my head, but here, in Ligon Street, I'm always expecting a desert just beyond the last 7-Eleven. Trees, footpaths, shops, cafes and supermarkets waver on the brink of existence. They could just as well duck out into another world, yet they choose to stay. You've got the desert coming into the city. Well, you know, it's funny. It's like sistol, diastol, you know. Everything contains its opposite. And I have a feeling that Australia is so large, so big. And even when you go in a very small place like Brunswick, that's very typical and very centred, it contains the immensity of the heart of Australia too. The other day I was in the city, and I, you know, near Swanson Street, yes. you know, and there were some Aboriginals sitting drunk mm. and looking very sad near the, that big church, Anglican church, you know, near Flinders St. Paul's Station. Cathedral. Yeah. Sorry, that's, I should know that. I'm terrible. <laughs> Not a worry. And, and the, the, it, was, it felt so empty and sad, and, and yet I thought, wow, that's impressive because it's the very heart of the city, and yet it's like a desert. So, in fact, it's very true. Australia is always true. You know, it it contains its own truth right there. Because in other cities, you know, they have galloping heroes on horse, uh, bronze horses. and But here it's only, uh, you know, um, how, how can I say? Um, um, oh, dear. I'm losing my... Take your my time. <laughs> this is not a worry. I, I, they have, you know, those... those um, Who's the guy, the, the, the explorers you know who went in the desert? Birken Wills. Yeah. Birken Wills, you know? Birken Wills. I, I know that. It's gone from my mind. They they went in the desert and there's sca- sculptures of them, you know? Yeah, well, our so, failures. Yeah. Yes. And it's the, the absence and, and the desert that's right at the center. So yes. It's, it's true, you know, the aboriginals are right there in this heart of that busy city. Yeah. The other voice you heard there, dear listener, was uh, that of Barry, who is the publisher who's come to join us. So I should have said welcome also to you, Barry. And Barry Scott of Transit Lounge. Barry Scott, <laughs> Thank tra- you. who published the novel. And we're, we're going to talk to Barry also about why he chose to uh, publish this book a little later. But I'm talking to Catherine de Safal, uh, if I can get my pronunciation correct, about On Brunswick Ground, the Australian setting. We're in Brunswick. 
And then you go into the uh, intimacy then of Brunswick tonight. I'm in a bar in Brunswick on a high stool with a book and a beer, hanging in the middle of a blur of voices like some strange fruit from another tree, losing myself in the story, downing a cool redemptive sip every few pages. I keep a weather ear out for the floating. No worries, mate. I'm easy. And you're right. But like the sea, spume tightening one's hold on a ship's rail, keep my feet firmly hitched on the rung of the stool I'm sitting on. So there we have Brunswick. What's so fascinating about Brunswick? Um, I, I think that what really fascinates me about that place is, is, is the humanity and kindness of its inhabitants. Paris is a very hard... Um, well, you know, I have French people I love, but, but the, the town itself is... Uh, is very critical and snobby and 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 slightly condescending mm. population of of intellectuals and of course there's lovely people i mean i'm not you know in the general atmosphere while the general atmosphere of brunswick is is is, is, is so much sweetness mm. i think that's that's what touches me most is that just brunswick or does that extend beyond it, do you think it extends but i i think melbourne is it is my favorite city i mean perth wouldn't be my favorite city of mm. of australia though i'd love to visit it I've, i haven't been but um, I went to Port Douglas, mm. but I always said, oh, can we go home to Melbourne? <laughs> I went to Sydney. I thought Sydney was beautiful, and my partner, Paul, would, would kill me because he was born in Sydney. He loves the harbour, and he loves the sea, and, uh, but, but I, I, I couldn't wait to get back to Melbourne. <laughs> right. I'd like to think that our... But it uh, is beautiful. I mean, the, the opera house. Sorry, yeah. I interrupted you. No, that's fine. Mm. Um, I'd like to think that um, our generosity could extend beyond our borders, but I think I'm getting on to another topic there. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> a good point. Good point. <laughs> um, but now we've got the setting, Australia, Brunswick, the characters you've got here, and you've got a range of women, each with their own concerns. Um, you have a Bernice, and um, Bernice is looking at, I'm going to do IVF, 39, no time left. And Bernice explains it all to me. Nothing is left in the shadows. It's all very scientific. They stick a catheter into your uterus at the most fertile time of the cycle, and then they empty the contents of the test tube inside you. To listen to her is to hear a woman shouting on the ramparts of some ancient city, menacing a higher power, taunting the gods for what she wants. What are you saying about, well, Bernice in particular? Well, that's that's something uh, deeper. In fact, uh, it, it, it's a concern about the feminine, because mm. uh, in France, women are very different. And I was fascinated in Australia by the, the, the women not only for human beings, men and women, but women were so different from French women. I was afraid of French women, and Australian women are a refuge. <laughs> so, and and this, I heard conversations like that in 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 a bar and in cafe, in bars and pubs and and, and you know railway stations. So just and talking about do, talking the about internet. things in a very direct way. And, and and you're cared for, you know, the, the, the humanity in you is cared for in, by Australians. Once I tripped in the street, I'm very absent-minded and forgetful, and I, I forgot something, and I was rushing down the street, and this man or this woman, I can't remember, stopped and said, you're right, you're right, you're right. It was so, you know, and it happens all the time. People people are compassionate. Yeah. Um, Not what? pitying, you know, compassionate, you know, they, and they don't intrude. They're, they're very much their own person. Hmm. But see, what I was thinking <laughs> when you were talking about Bernice um, and that 
need or the um, well, you get onto an issue which we'll get onto later on. This notion of extremism. I mean that desire to procreate the um, attitude and um, and all of these sorts of things. Well, I mean, sorry, I. I, I I went out to the subject you were saying, no, a bit, no. but the, the directness of, of, of Australian women, they speak of things, you know, a cat is a cat. Mm. They say what's what, you know, <laughs> an IVF is IVF, and yeah. they go straight to the point. But for somebody who's French and who's, um, it, it's very re- a relief. You know, a relief you, to talk about those re- issues? No, no, no. To hear someone that issue or any issue. That was her issue at the point, at the time. But it was such a relief because she said the truth about what was happening. Yes. Okay. You have Matali, uh, whose brother committed suicide, uh, who claims, I'm tempted by death. Uh, her brother, When her brother committed suicide, I was 18 then, he was 17, we could have been twins. And she's haunted by this, uh, mm. or her brother's presence, shall we say. Um what are you trying to say there? Well, that's a very precise memory. That's actually somebody I met. Um, uh, or, and it has to do with Gilmar, and that's the whole idea of the book came from that. Right. Um, I met this woman, uh, I won't say of her, she, she, mm. she wouldn't recognize herself. Mm. And she, she was in such shock of the death of Gilmar. She, she thought, I'm really, and this is a true story, I, I, she was so unnerved and and she says i can't understand when i th- this is the, the I, I say that of in mm. the story mitali's story but um it's something i heard and I, it touched me so much because it it was as if the feminine itself that concerns everyone mm. that is, is is touched there yeah and well we're, we're sort of jumping ahead because there are several other char- characters sarah yeah. mary uh, b and the narrator yeah, which sorry, we I might no 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 jump d- about d- it is perfectly fine to jump Very about feminine. On, <laughs> perfectly fine to jump about on this show um because that's what literature is but you've touched on something now the jill ma image that permeates this novel and her presence then is part of the landscape that you have described in many ways which influences the decisions these women make so i was wondering how um challenging um the notion of tackling the sensitivity of that issue and incorporating it into a novel well i i i was because of what that woman said i i understood how it had moved people in in such a deep level Mm. that I felt that it it moved me to see this woman being ashamed to, to be so concerned. You know, it's like a, a princess die phenomenon, except that it was much deeper. And, and, and in a way, it was honoring her memory to, to, to in fact, she became all woman. Mm. So she was elevated, not that she needed to, she sounds like such a lovely, sweet person, Chilma, but, but, it, it it's sacralized her memory, made her memory precious and, you know, beyond the newspaper covering and to, to, to hear this woman speak of her like that, the way she was touched, Gilma became all women, she became the feminine itself and that's what interested me and that's what got me in the book. But this then... So I hope I haven't offended her husband or hurt anyone in, in, by writing this story, <laughs> but it was done in a spirit of... of of awe and respect. Well, I think it succeeds in that regard, oh, in um, awe and respect, because it basically then um, 
I won't say force, but causes these other women, uh, Bernice, who we've already talked about, Matali, but then um, Sarah, Mary and the like, to think about their own lives as women and the decisions they make. Because um, there's another event, the, the collapse of that um, retaining wall, and two innocent bystanders were... More, What was More two or that, three? Yes, it was... Barry, can you remember how many? It was two, yeah. There was a brother and a sister. And there was another... Uh, somebody was injured as well. Was injured, yeah. And, but it's, it's a random yeah. event, um, but also then how our lives can be altered yeah. in an instant yes. in many ways, yeah. and therefore people then see that perhaps we need to make decisions. We've been just too complacent. We need to put our lives in a bit more perspective. Um, it, and also we're not only the personal woman or the personal man we are. We're also something beyond that. Like for women, we are the feminine. And it, it may, I, I, of course, I didn't put that in the book, but it's what I felt. The, in the, the, the Tao, you know, there's a beautiful phrase. May I, may I read three lines? Yes, right? yes, yes. They, they, they say in the Tao that the spirit of the fountain never dies. It is called the mysterious feminine, the root of all heaven and earth, frail Frail it is, hardly existing, but touch it, it will run, never run dry. Right. And, I, and uh, there's another uh, uh, um, translation which my partner Paul prefers. Mm. <laughs> she says, the valley spirit never dies, it is the woman, primal mother. Her gateway is the root of heaven and earth. It is like a veil, barely seen. Use it, it will never fail. And I think that's what Jill Maher, all her death, if, if, if one can find meaning in it, maybe it is a slight consolation. Yeah, well, the consolation there. You're on 3CR, this is published or not, and we're talking about On Brunswick Ground, which is the first English novel of Catherine de Saint-Fran? The absolute first, yes. The absolute first, but it's also <laughs> going to be published in... It, 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 uh, it, it is published already in French because I, I wrote it in English and then I thought, oh, because I've been writing things here for a mm. long time and I... Nothing was happening, and I was getting a bit, uh, you know, maybe Austrians don't like my stuff. I should go. So I, I said, okay, I'll translate it into French. And then uh, my dear friend, um, Roger Averill, who's also a writer for Transit Lounge, wrote a beautiful book to mm. die for um, um, called Keeping Faith and, 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 and Exile. Um, and also, boy, he cry. <laughs> mm. um, he, 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 he read it and he liked it and he, he showed it to Barry. Who, 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 and, and my French publisher had just accepted it. So it was quite a fluke. That quite happened. a fluke. Yeah. What made you take it on, Barry? Uh, well, Roger did um, bring Catherine to our attention, which was fantastic. And I wasn't aware of her writing. And the first thing I loved about the book was the crisp... Style. It's in a way it seems deceptively light, but it's really deep. So it draws you in. It's easy to read, but there's a lot to think about as well. It's quite profound in in a lot mm. of regards. And also, it seemed to me to be about quite an iconic suburb in Melbourne, Brunswick. In a way, in that way, it reminded me a little bit of what. Um, you know, monkey grip was to Carlton in the sense that, you know, they were cycling past the Carlton baths and it referenced a lot, an area that a lot of people know and love. And, and it also tapped in, of course, 
to wonderful female characters and the way they support one another. But also from what Catherine's just been saying, she's taken the voices, the sounds, the characters um, who we pass every day and yet you've made them part of the novel but more so part of the issues that we are addressing um, in every, every day of our lives, like reproduction, uh, the IVF. But you do get onto this notion, well, there's a couple of notions, um, that we have Sarah, uh, who's running a, a, a nursery, um, who actually employs the narrator. The narrator doesn't have a name. No, because I, I thought, uh, I, I, obviously it's me, you know, <laughs> and, and, and I thought uh, it, it's rather gross to, to, to incarnate myself in, in a story that was fiction, which mm. there's parts of truth, you know, there's really big, you know, characters that I've seen and heard, but I've weaved a story, a fiction out of that. So, yes. But I, 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 I'm just like a gaze. But and and the story I build over the narrator is also fiction. But the narrator, I, I then, have no um, amnesic partner. You know, my partner's a poet and very not amnesic. He's full. He's he's on the board. Yeah, but that's it. The, yeah. the narrator has a challenge in that her partner Jack has suffered uh, in an accident and has suffered amnesia, and. Uh, Yes, but the, you see, the, the the idea was that she's she's just like a camera, you know. So I I, I I felt yeah. But there's there's something then missing in her life, or something has disappeared. Sarah, uh, who runs the nursery, uh, lost her husband. But I can't tell too much about that because you're <laughs> going to have to read the story because there's an interesting development there. <laughs> but Sarah's daughter then, Mary, um, has uh, married a Muslim. Um, and in some ways disappears behind the burqa. So you've got all of these uh, characters who are struggling, uh, grappling with the challenges of their life and in some ways losing or disappearing or, um, yeah, submerging. Maybe that's the, the twin spirit between uh, in that book is that um, you say disappearing, but it's the mix of life and death. That's why Gilmar you know, is, is was seminal for me to, to get sailing into the, the story because what we lose, life and death, are weaved together. Mm. And, and if we don't knit them together, we're not truly alive. If we're not conscious of death, we can't live our springs. We can't be reborn. But these characters are also woven together because in some ways, every one of them has... Uh, a challenge, but something has disappeared, or they're, they're, they've um, submerged something within themselves that's that why can't be Jill expressed. That's why is so potent for them, yeah. because she represents that part of them that that's not there, you know, and and that they or have that to has find. Been hurt or that has yeah. been wounded. Um, and we've killed. <laughs> um, I mean, but you do raise some very contemporary concerns, like IVF. The other one then is is Mary wearing a burqa. Yeah. Has Mary been a Muslim for long? I say I don't know. It's a bit extreme, isn't it? I nod and open my hands in doubt. Maybe we're all extreme, too busy hoping instead of living. Bernice hoping for a husband and child, me for Jack, Sarah to reach her daughter, Jack, his memory. Matali is the only one who's gone beyond hope, just trying to accept what has already happened. So, yes, and that force bringing them together. But, yep, I like that notion. We're all extreme, but being extremists rather than living our lives. Yes. 
yeah, we we want things instead of living them. Yeah. You know, we want the next thing we're going to have instead of being. Which is the yeah. message, which is the way I read that IVF, uh, Bernice's desire for IVF, that the desire to fulfill an image or an ideal or whatever mm-hmm. instead of living life. Yeah. She has a change uh, yeah. later again. The uh, listener is going to have to um, <laughs> buy the book uh, from Transit Lounge, of course, to uh, keep uh, Barry going so he can publish more people like this. Um, but we do, and people do lead extremist lives in many ways. Yes, yes, they do. I, I think that um, I'm fascinated by, by ex- you know, strange people because... I think I wrote this book, really, the, the deep reason I wrote this book was my mother, mm. who was uh, sweetly and deeply and irrevocably mad, but she was also wise and kind and compassionate and cruel and funny and scary. And I got interested in the feminine because of her, I think, mm. because she was such a mystery to me. So that, that I, I don't know if I've answered your question or if, if I've hopped aside, but I think... Yeah. It's a fascinating reply to oh, uh, getting insights. Um, there are random events. What is another interesting little facet um, uh, um, is the archaeology in many ways where you tie in the past. We've got um, two other characters, Harry and Francis, who are archaeologists. And um, Francis, at one point, when my mother was killed by that falling branch, I began looking into her past. I knew next to nothing about her family, her childhood. She was a withdrawn personality. Then I found out stuff even my father didn't know. She'd been a trapeze artist, she spoke Spanish, she had a half-brother we'd never met, and so on. It was like the unveiling of a monument. This inquiring into her life because of her death gradually got my imagination involved in archaeology without any conscious decision. Going back into the past, exploring, discovering, uh, you've, you've got that element there as well. And also, um, they actually, and I've lost the place, ah, we found the skeleton of a baby the other day. It had been preserved in a box of sand. You could still see its features, even its expression. He was only a few days old when he died. It happens all the time. The number of dead babies we find, I mean, the place is littered with them. (laughs) But it's this echo of the past in, well, in sand, in archaeology, but in our lives as well. Yeah, that's also the way death is, is with us because when death happens, we only have our memories. So it's the disappearance of death and we have to... Something else appears. Often you notice a baby is often born when somebody dies. Yes, um, that uh, that can pose quite a challenge. Um, I was... Uh, well, my grandfather died and my mother was pregnant with me and, oh. and therefore there was a, a, a bit of frustration in terms of the cultural uh, appropriateness of such things. Not that they could do anything about it at the time uh, and all of these sorts of things are, are echoes and, but then you've, that's a, a sort of a social, um, what would you call it, appropriateness and, yeah, and social thing, behaviour. Yeah, bit, um, which is out random. Of, out of whack, isn't it? They wouldn't know which foot to dance. But our social concerns and pressures are in many ways out of random yeah. with the lives we lead or the way we should be leading our lives in, in many ways um, and such like. Catherine, this has been a fascinating discussion. Um, the book is on Brunswick ground. Um, Barry's been in as well, the publisher, and uh, and his reasons for uh, choosing uh, to publish on Brunswick Ground. There is 
um, a launch, and that is on Thursday, the 2nd of July, uh, 6.30 for 7pm. It's at the Red Wheelbarrow at Red Wheelbarrow Books, 105 Ligon Street, Brunswick East. There couldn't be a better location <laughs> to launch the book. No. Has there been? Has there Feels been? Feels like re- it's in the book. <laughs> has there been a reaction from anybody in and around Brunswick? Uh, well, it's not out yet. Yeah, it's, not, it's, it's not just coming out at the beginning of next month. But with the current uh, setup with the distributors, things seem to get into stores about two weeks before well, scheduled release date. So it will be around probably within a week. You'll see it in stores. Well, I hope people get hold of it. It's uh, elegantly written, delightful. Um, the ideas behind it are fascinating. So on Brunswick ground. Catherine de Safal is the author. Um, what accent did I say there? Barry Scott has been with us as well and it is a Transit Lounge publication and now we have to move out of here so ruminations can come in. <laughs> 